0: Thanks so much for having me. How many of you have been in that awkward moment where somebody said something inappropriate to somebody who was grieving? It happens to a lot of us, isn't it? You know, that awkward silence, people look at the floor, and they don't know where to go from there. It's a delicate topic, topic and a lot of us really struggle with it. Grief's really hard. It's hard because we care about the people that are, we're talking to. We care about who they are, and what they're doing, but we really don't know how to lean in and support them. We struggle with finding the right words to say. Oftentimes what ends up happening is that we end up saying nothing at all, or the wrong words just seem to tumble out of our mouths. And it's like, oh, shit, what do I do now, right? How many people have been there? For sure. How many people maybe have been on the receiving end while you're grieving and somebody says something? And those words really hurt at a time when you're already feeling defenseless. You're already feeling like, please don't kick me while I'm down. And what ends up happening for somebody who's grieving is their armor goes up. They stop talking, they stop sharing. And they end up having to move through grief alone, those tough emotions. And the tricky part with grief is that it's an umbrella term. It's one word that describes a ton of emotions. There can be anger and sadness. There can be frustration, fear, regret, guilt, shame, gratitude, relief, loneliness, hopelessness all of these emotions can come tumbling in waves big and small like a tsunami and we don't get to control it now you've all seen the last couple days i'm really good at controlling stuff really good at it i have not been able to control my grief i tried to put it in my calendar i was like hey these two hours i'm gonna grieve never happened then funny hey and the reality is is that grief is really challenging and difficult. I call it the crazy train of grief. It's a 10-coupon ride, and you don't get a choice of when you want to get off. And that's hard as grievers, but it's also hard for somebody who's supporting, somebody who's grieving, because we don't know where they're at. We don't know what emotional (laughs) cycle they're on. We don't know if they've, they've been sleeping, if they've been eating, we don't know where they're at. And it's hard to be able to step in And so it is no wonder that we say sometimes the wrong thing. It is no wonder that sometimes we say nothing at all. The other part that's really hard with grief is I believe it's as individuals our fingerprint. (coughs) None of us do it the same. None of us do it wrong. How you do grief is right. How I do grief is right. But it's really difficult when I go to support somebody and I think this is how I would be grieving and their, their way of moving through it is completely different. And that can be extremely hard. So it makes it difficult to even teach somebody because we think that it, it should fit in a box and it doesn't. And then on top of that we have these things like the five stages of dying or the five stages of grief. Well, I can tell you, you talk to any griever There is no linear process in grief. It's a hot mess. The emotions come, they disappear, then they come back again, and then you go, why is this here? I thought I dealt with this already. And so it's not linear, it's not easy. And many people think (coughs) that, well, I've done this already. I should be done it already. And they don't see that it, it is a hot mess. It is part of the process. The thing that always gets me with grief we'll all go through it I've yet to meet anybody who's immune to death which means all of us will grieve and yet we never talk about it it's an unknown topic and so that makes it hard as well and yet when we look at grief it's a normal natural reaction to any loss or change of any kind So all of us grieved through this fantastic pandemic all of us moved through grief as we went through all these changes it's normal and yet we never talk about it and one of the things i always say to people when you witness deep grief when you see somebody grieving really hard it's because there is deep love it wouldn't hurt if they didn't love their person it wouldn't hurt if there wasn't connection there And so it deserves to be honored, it deserves to be witnessed, it deserves the grace that's needed. When I lost my husband unexpectedly in 2018, I had some people that I love and trust say some things that were really inappropriate. Days after he died, I understand grief. I went through divorce. Yeah, yeah, that was the look. I had that one too. There is grief in divorce, don't get me wrong, but I didn't make a choice to lose my husband that way, so it's not an appropriate thing to say. Days after his funeral, somebody said, don't worry, you're young, you'll find love again. Because like love, the day he died, it just switched off like a a switch, it doesn't work like that. I am still in love with my husband. I will still love him until the last breath I take. That's because grief is love. I will grieve him till the last breath I take. And then I also had friends that came to the funeral. They paid their respects. And then they completely disappeared and left me to grieve the loss of them as well. That silence was hard these people didn't say it out of malice or wanting to hurt me. They said it because they didn't know. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. Some of them were grieving the loss of my husband, and I was a reminder to them (coughs) that he was gone. So it meant I lost them, too. The reality is, as, as I've spent more time with grievers, my story is the same. I chatted with a widow just a few weeks ago, and her doctor, said to her, after she lost her husband who was 37 years old, nine months after he died, her doctor said to her, out of all my patients, you take the biggest prize in grieving the hardest. That came from somebody who's trained in death. That came from somebody who's trained with bedside manner. So it's not a surprise to me that us everyday people struggle with grief. It's common. And so, I often say, what ends up happening is that we end up judging people. We end up seeing them and trying to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. Because we want to make sense of it. And the hard part with grief is that because it's as individuals, our fingerprint, we judge that piece. We judge, are they crying too much? Are they not crying at all? Why hasn't she taken off her wedding band? Aren't they over it by now? Those are common things that people think about when they see somebody who's grieving. And yet for a griever, all they want is for somebody to say, please see that I hurt. Please let me miss my person. We take that normal response of what grief should be. And with our judgments, we we minimize that normal response we make it impossible for somebody to grieve with others and when we think about it I always say has anybody ever watched America's Got Talent that golden buzzer moment those are moments where we celebrate right those are moments where we see these people they get that golden buzzer and do they all celebrate the same We got somebody that runs around the stage like a banshee. We got somebody that's screaming. You get somebody that's trembling and crying. You have somebody who has a moment with their creator. And then you have some people who just take it all in because their dream is coming true. We never judge how people celebrate. And yet we judge how people live in pain and how they move through grief. And so when we go to hold space for people, we need to release that judgment. We need to let that go. I truly believe that judgment is grief's kryptonite. It stops us from grieving and supporting somebody when we judge how they're moving through that pain. And when somebody's needing you to hold space and needing you to see them exactly where they're at, they just need to love, be, know that they're being loved exactly where they're at. They need to know that their tears that Laura's shedding, that they are a sacred space. I believe that tears are language of our heart, and we only shed them because our heart needs to share them. And when somebody sheds their tears with me, what I choose to do is say, thank you. And sometimes I'm a sprinkler, and sometimes they come with me, and I share with them. You know, what I do see when it comes to judgment, people say, please don't cry. You'll make me cry too. And what ends up happening? That wall goes up. I can't be who I need to be. And that can be really hard. And so I encourage you to embrace letting go of those judgments, seeing the person where they're exactly at, and know that your words can't fix that person. You can't fix dead. So you can't fix the problem. What ends up happening in our world is we try to find silver (coughs) linings. And we say these great little platitudes like, everything happens for a reason. Or, at least you can get another dog. Sounds even better when you say, at least you can have another child. Or, at least they're not suffering. Yet the person right in front of you is suffering. So when you say any sentence that starts with at least, you're minimizing how somebody feels. That person right in front of you, because they are missing their person. And so when we can avoid those kind of phrases and say, losing a child is a significant loss and I see how much you're hurting and my heart goes out to you. That's a way different phrase than I'm sorry for your loss. Our grief education's limited. Many of us have been taught, we say, I'm sorry for your loss. We send a card. We maybe send some flowers. How many people, when somebody dies, you think food right away? <laughs> Who goes on the casserole brigade? You put it in your vintage grandma's vintage Pyrex, you send it, it goes in the freezer, right? A friend of mine, her husband died 15 years ago, and about seven months after her husband died, she cleaned out 17 uh, lasagnas out of her freezer. 17. That's what we do. We're we're all about food, comfort, right? Um, And those are great. But then when all of a sudden that service is over and maybe a week or two later, that's as far as we go. We don't know what to do after that. But the grief doesn't stop there. And the reality is, many of us have to go back to work even. We only get two or three, maybe four days of bereavement leave and then it's ready to work, ready or not. And our grief goes way past the cultural ceremonies and norms of our society. And so we have to slow that down and really just hold that space for people, let them be where they need to be. Know that grief doesn't just happen at home. You know, I lost my child and I'm only gonna cry at home. Know that it happens in the office. Know that it impacts people in every aspect of their life. And so it will come. It will be natural with you um, in different places and spaces. Know that it's okay to just sit and listen. Listen generously with the people that are grieving around you. Listen to the words that they use. So if they use the word passed away, or death, or loss, use the word that they use. Because I can tell you that if you use a word that they didn't use, it's like nails on a chalkboard. I had a man who I said, when did your brother pass? Or when did you lose your brother? And he lost his noodle. He's like, I didn't lose my brother, he died. And what did I do as somebody who was supporting him? I went back into my turtle shell and I didn't know what to say next. And that's really common. And so what I encourage you to do instead is to say, my apologies, that wasn't your word. You, your brother did die and that, that's really sad. I didn't mean to upset you and I want you to know that I'm here with you. And I had to own it. Because it's easy to take that step back and be like, peace out, I'm not interested. But when we actually can take that step in and lean in and support somebody at a time when they need it the most, at a time when they're trying to figure out love, when love doesn't make sense because their person isn't here anymore, it can be incredibly powerful. I think I'm going to close with sharing a parable about the long spoons. So one day a man said to God, I'd like to see heaven and I'd like to see hell. So God took him into a room where there was two doors. And door number one opened up and there was a room with a large table in the middle. And on that table was a big pot of vegetable stew. And the stew smelt amazing. It made the man's mouth water. And around the table were all these people. They were sickly and thin. They looked famished. And they were holding these long spoons, and they could reach in and get to the pot of stew. But the handles on these spoons were so long that they weren't able to get it back in their mouth. And the man shuddered at this sight that these people were so sick. And God looked at him and said, You've seen hell. And then He took him to the second door, and they opened it up, and it was the same sight. There was a large round table, with the vegetable stew that made his mouth water. And when he looked at the people around the table, they were laughing and talking and plump and healthy. And they had the same long-handled spoons. But rather than trying to feed themselves, they were feeding each other. (laughs) And grief is the same. What happens when we have to grieve alone? is we're not able to feed ourselves. Those lasagnas don't get eaten. And when we can turn around and nourish somebody else and take care of somebody else at a time in need during loss, whether it was a loss last week or a loss 10 years from now, when we can support somebody in grief we're able to nourish each other because we are loving each other. We are supporting each other. And my hope is that as we can learn how to work our grief muscles and how to care for each other during grief, is that we can all grieve with grace together. Thank you.